this morning. We're going to enter this morning a, a series on on prayer. Uh, this will be just for uh, a, a short time, and then after this series, we're going to move into the book of Philippians, and we'll be preaching through the, the book of Philippians uh, for a little more extended period of time. But this morning, we want to address the question, how do we pray? How do we pray? And some of you are thinking, well, we just talk to God. Well, well, we'll get into that more in a few moments. But I want to encourage you this morning, just by going back to a little bit of what we discussed last week. As we approach the topic of prayer, we don't want to separate this from the things that we discussed last week, which were the overarching purpose of all our lives, of all of our life, which is to, does, can anybody tell me, our purpose? Glorify God, that's right, you sound excited about glorifying God this morning. To glorify God, and not only to glorify Him, but to enjoy Him, to enjoy Him forever. And so if there's one sentence in which I could summarize all this and how prayer is connected, prayer is a means through which we are transformed so that we might glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You see, in prayer, it's not only that God hears our request, but it is that our hearts, our own hearts, are transformed as we learn who God is. You see, some, many times in prayer, I find myself just landing in Psalms where it says, be still and know that I'm God. And at times, that's the form of my prayer, that I just be still and I just know that He's God. And I hear Him speak and I see His character revealed. It was Kierkegaard, I believe, that said that prayer is many times that not that God hears, but we begin to hear. And so there are many ways in which we might need to think differently about prayer. I want to do a survey very quickly just to show you and help you see the importance of prayer. In case you don't believe it, many of you do, but in case you don't. Every character in the Bible who is set up as a person who, who knew God, who interacted with God, was a person who prayed. It was in prayer that Abraham was told he would receive a son at a very old age. It was in prayer he, that he believed God and that it says that it was counted to him as righteousness. It was that covenant granted that we now enjoy, that covenant of faith, but it was brought about in this time of prayer. It was in prayer that Moses receives the name of God. I am. Moses is asking God, God, who are you? It's in prayer. He hears God's promise to deliver the Israelites out of bondage. It's in prayer. Moses asks God not to destroy the Israelites. And God says he will not. It seems to have been in prayer that God spoke to Joshua, the new leader for Israel, and told him, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These words came to him during a time of prayer. Hannah prayed, begging God for a son, and God granted her Samuel, who would be a great prophet for Israel. The Psalms provide a record of the numerous prayers of David. And if you look through First and Second Samuel, you see several of these as well. But it's clear that David was a man who prayed. And God calls him a man after his own heart. If we move to the New Testament, Anna is a prophetess and a widow in Luke. Yet she is praying for the arrival of the Messiah. She is found praying. Day after day, all day, praying. 
Jesus prayed. We'll come back to him later. He's pretty important. Paul starts almost every epistle with the specific ways in which he's praying for that congregation. The people of the Bible pray. And you'd say, well, I I pray. I pray. But these people, it's intense prayer. I mean, these people get away and bury themselves with God. Elijah is in a cave, and they spend this intense time of prayer, of interacting with God. So the people of the Bible pray. It's clearly very important to the person who desires to walk with God and to know God. We must pray. A few other comments. If we, if we walk through a study on prayer, yet we're not praying better at the end, then it was probably a poor study on prayer. It was amazing this week as I began to, I wanted to be able to just teach this passage, but as I began to walk through this passage and try to find ways of communicating what this passage was telling us, I was forced more and more just into prayer and to conviction because I haven't been spending time alone in my prayer closet. And so if we walk through this study, this teaching on prayer, but something's not different about our prayer lives, then either the study wasn't taught very well or we didn't listen very well. We should grow in our prayer lives during this. But prayer doesn't just happen by accident. And here's where I would highlight there might be a distinction between us and these other biblical characters. Prayer is a discipline. It requires intentionality and it requires perseverance. Let me highlight two examples from the life of Jesus. It says in Mark 135 that Jesus rose very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. It seems that when Mark tells us this, that at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, that Mark is trying to highlight not just one specific instance, but a way in which Jesus ministered. Almost as if it was this habit that Jesus had, that he would get up early and he would go to be alone with the Father. We see this several times in the Gospels where Jesus goes away from his disciples and where he is alone. And what's incredible to me is this is the very Son of God, the God-man. Yet, to embrace this oneness with the Father, He's constantly alone with the Father. Disciplining Himself to get alone and to pray. Also, one other instance. Perseverance. You see, I think of the disciples when Jesus is praying in the garden. Jesus comes to them and they continue to fall into this sleep. And he tells them, he encourages the disciples to persevere in prayer that they would not enter into temptation. Prayer requires perseverance. It's not like us to sit there and expect to get work done by actually just sitting there, is it? When we work, we want to work with our hands. We want productivity. We want to be able to see it. But prayer is before the face of God, expecting God to work on our behalf. It's difficult. It requires perseverance. It's not like us to work in that way. It's contrary to everything that the world tells us about work. But it's interesting that when Jesus tells them to persevere in prayer, that they would not enter into temptation... What happens immediately after this scene? The disciples all deserted him. It was immediately after they were encouraged to persevere in prayer and they continued to fall asleep during their prayer that 
they would all desert him and that Peter, you see this inst- these instances where he denies them th- him three times. So prayer, it requires intentionality. It's, it, it doesn't just happen. And then it also requires perseverance. Sometimes in our, our prayer time, we, we have to fight to keep it up. We have to keep going, seeking after God. You see, the, these words of intensity are used throughout the Bible for seeking God. Seeking God with all one's heart. Prayer, seeking the face of God, knowing God, requires perseverance. But let's get into this main text that we will be in this morning, and I hope to continue on these, on these same points. Will you stand with me and we'll read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Jesus says to all those gathered who are hearing uh, this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount is where we find this. There are many gathered, but particularly those who are going to follow him are going to hear this. And he says to them, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Will you say these after me, congregation? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Father, we pray that you would speak clearly to us on this matter of prayer this morning. Lord, I pray that our hearts would grow in a devotion to you when it comes to prayer. When it comes to designating time in our lives in which we might be alone with you to pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us, that you would convict us. God, that we would desire to know you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's look at the first question, I believe, that is addressed here. And that question is, why do we pray? Why do we pray? We see here in the first verses that there are these who pray so that they might be seen by others. I want to be quite simple here. Jesus says, do not pray in this way. We do not pray to gain attention from men. 
Now, this, we don't have quite the same context that they did here. There was a large temple area, and then there were these religious people who wore very religious, religious garb. They were the leaders of this Jewish society, very highly respected. And they would pray on the street corners, and they would pray these probably long and uh, these prayers that they were trying to wordsmith just right. And they sounded good before men. And we may not have much of a temptation like this these days. I will uh, say to you very honestly, as one who is asked to pray in public often, uh, I'm, that's part of the gig, I guess. No, no, just, no you are, so, some of us are required, asked to pray in public more often than others. And I would say to those who are and to myself that... Uh, the tempt, there is a temptation for us that is like this, that's very like what's going on in this context, where these men are praying in public and they're doing it to receive attention from men. This can be a temptation. When we're uh, praying in public and we want our words to sound different and we want them to be uh, very, just roll off the tongue and people to be impressed and we use law, you know, just like that and say things right. There is a temptation for this. It, but for many of you, that's, that's not where you live. That's not your circumstance, your situation. But I would say to you that prayer is still something that we use sometimes to impress people or to appease people. There are times when people begin to share with you just what's going on in their life, right? They're going through this, so-and-so is sick, those types of things. And it's common for people who go to church, the right thing to say is what? We're praying for you. And that's a very good thing to say. But the question is, are you really going to pray for them? Or are you saying that because it makes you feel good and makes that other person feel good? You see, there is a sense in which this temptation probably applies to, to that situation. I find myself often saying, I'll pray for you. And then I look think back and say, man, I completely forgot to pray. And I'm hoping that God doesn't have that time constraint, you know, where like their test was three hours ago and I said I would pray. And it's like, Lord, please, I pray that you helped their test somehow. But we do have that temptation to hopefully try to appease people or something by saying we'll pray for them. And so what, what I would encourage you to do, how this... Uh, may affect us, instead of when you have that, when you're fixing to say, I'll pray for you, instead of saying that, say, can I pray for you? And immediately, just there, quick, simple prayer, just say, let me, let me pray for you. And, and again, don't have the temptation to sound good, just quick, simple, just pray for them. It's an opportunity for you to engage with another believer, to pray for them, to lift them up to the Lord. And so, I would encourage you just to really just Pray. Don't feel that temptation to go and it, you can't pray for hundreds of things every, unless you, that's what you do. There are prayer warriors who are able to do that. But find practical ways to help yourself in this and to serve the Lord faithfully. So the first th reason we need to acknowledge why we don't pray is we don't pray to gain attention from men. Jesus tells us that these who do, they have the only reward they're going to receive, which is that attention from men. But let's look at the next section, why we do pray. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. 
You see, this is the omnipresence of the Father that in this room where no one else is, where we hide ourselves away, this room was in, in that society was the inner room in the house where there were no windows. It was a small room where one could get away. But even where you're the only one there, the Father is there with you. He is there. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, we pray to be heard to be seen by our Father. We go into this place so that we may interact with our Father. And it is the secret place that Jesus calls us to go. Now, it's interesting as you read the Gospels all the way through, and even the entire New Testament, and you look at where people pray. Jesus prayed in a garden. He prayed with his disciples nearby. You read John 17, the high priestly prayer, where Jesus prays this long prayer that is recorded for us by John. So obviously, someone heard him praying this. What I would say to you is that we're not supposed to take this legalistically, where we have to go to this room all by ourselves, and we have to pray just that way. But what Jesus is challenging his people to do is go to a place where they can be alone with the Father. In whatever way that is, wherever that is for you, here's the one challenge that I believe that I need to receive and that some of you need to receive. I know there are people in our congregation who have shared with me in their quiet times when they first had children, they would tell God, I wish I had time to spend with you, Lord. I just haven't been able to do that lately. And they said they don't have problems anymore because God made them wake up at 4.30 for the rest of their days after that. I can point you to that person if you'd like to talk with them. But I would just ask you, in the busyness and the chaos of your life, are there things that are preventing you from not getting alone with the Father? Here's where it comes for me. If, if I don't get up by 5.30 or 6, if I just get up at 7 and say, I'm going to get to work at 8, those things, and I go through, if I don't do it before 7, it's not going to happen the rest of the day. This is just practical. This is just from me. And this is where the conviction hits. I'm not going to be able to get alone, to get by myself with the Father the rest of the day. And see, if I rush out the door and I go by eight, I become like this hypocrite here who is seeking to just throw out the prayers and hoping God will hear me. I just I say meaningless words. I would like for them to be heartfelt, but often they're not. They're just habit. And they're just thrown out there. And so I would just ask you, we've looked at all these people. Abraham, he would would build an altar to the Lord. They designated time for prayer. David, he was alone with the Lord. He poured out his heart. And I would ask you, Christian, I think sometimes we let ourselves off the hook and we just say, you know, I'll pray on the way to work. And that's, that's good sometimes. That's great. I'm not saying it's bad. But I'm asking you, do you get alone with the Lord? This is where you come to know Him, His heart, and who He is, all His character. Do you get alone with Him? In order for this to happen, there are going to be some things in your life that really need to be eliminated. Some non-necessities, some TV shows, whatever it may be. But there will be things that need to be eliminated if you discipline yourself to be alone with the Father. If you're going to be like Jesus and get up before the sun comes up and you're going to be alone, it will take discipline. 
But this is what Jesus tells us to do. Go in secret and for your Father who sees in secret. So we don't pray to gain attention from men. We pray to be heard by our Father. Let's look at verse 7. How do we pray? This is where we'll be for the rest of our time. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. How do we pray? With what words do we use? We don't pray with mindless repetitions. Again, this is what happens when we may leave in a hurry, we just get in the car and we have these habits of things that we say. Maybe when we recite certain prayers, this is what happens. But there were these Gentiles who would just use these many long word, uh, winded prayers. I know some folks in, in church who do this as well. Um, but we don't pray with mindless repetitions. We pray with knowledge of our Father. And here's the knowledge that's very important that we have. Our Father knows what we need before we ask Him. Our Father knows what we need before we ask Him. And so then the question comes up, well then why do we pray if God knows what we need before we ask Him? Well, because God says so. That's where we're going to... We will address this probably more in the future, but I do just want to read this quote from Martin Luther. By our praying, we are instructing ourselves more than we are instructing God. God is aware of what we need. And so it is our heart that needs to be changed in prayer. God has commanded us to pray, and that is a very great reason for prayer. But we do need to know that when we come to God, He is already aware of our heart and everything that it is that we are in need of. So we don't try to twist God's arm. We don't try to use lots of words to compel Him. We don't try to use religious garb. We don't try to impress Him. But we speak simply. We speak honestly. And sometimes we speak with tears. But we know that our Father knows us. He knows. He sees into our hearts. He knows everything that we need. And so when you come to God, you don't pray with mindless repetitions, but you pray with knowledge of who He is, the type of God that you are praying to. Now, let me, before we move into the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, let me just make this, this comment. In other places where the Lord's Prayer is mentioned, for instance, in Luke and the other Gospels, there, there is sometimes this intro where the disciples will say, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. We don't have that in the instance in Matthew. There were probably other occasions where Jesus mentioned this. But in those cases, it seems that the disciples would have asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And here I just want to say, we shouldn't be hard on ourselves or others who come and who ask, how do I pray? We shouldn't be hard on ourselves when we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we think, well, you, you just pray. You just do it. But obviously it was something different for them because they asked, Jesus, teach us to pray. There was something in particular about prayer, about what's said that makes it prayer and not just talking, mindless repetition. And so there have often times, and I've seen this in my own life, where people have said, you know, how do I pray? I don't really know how. Maybe they're embarrassed about praying in public. We need to be taught how to pray. And that's okay. So, we will see this, what we call a model prayer that Jesus gives us. Now, why, if it's a model prayer, why don't we pray this like this all the time? 
as we said earlier, there are other places in the Gospels where they pray very differently. And throughout the New Testament, they seem to pray very differently. What Jesus seems to be presenting here is a model prayer in which, in, in many ways, it's something we follow, a model that we follow, but we can fill in the aspects of it personally. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, help your will be done in this area of my life. And we begin to personalize this prayer. This wasn't a model prayer in the sense that we regurgitate it every single time. But we begin to fill in aspects and we begin to make it personal. This is what we see in the New Testament in the way that they pray. So, let's look at this prayer and the different aspects of it, the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. There will be nothing, I'm not trying to do anything uh, original here, but I just want to make some comments. First, Jesus tells us to pray in this way, Our Father in Heaven. This is the address, Our Father in Heaven. This Father is a very... uh, personal, relational word, unlike the sometimes very lofty ways that we would address God. Father is intimate. It is like a personal, a, a earthly father. And it's not only in that sense, but it is, it's relational. So this father, while he's different from us, he is in heaven. He's also relational like us. He's intimate with us. And so we address Him as, as we would an earthly father. A father who loves us and wants to attend to our needs. He is our Father. But He's also in heaven. This doesn't necessarily mean that He's way out there in the clouds. But heaven is all space. He pervades all space. As we said, He is omnipresent. He is all around. He is the Father who is all around us. Our Father in heaven. This is the address. This is the way that we come before Him. I would encourage you, if you're having trouble praying, if you're having trouble getting in a spirit of prayer, that you would just begin in this way and meditate on Your father. Your father. The one, if you've had a bad earthly father, this is nothing like him. This is a loving, gracious, kind father. This is the father who wraps you in his arms, who desires to comfort you, but he is strong and mighty and desires to sustain you, to save you. This is the father of all perfection who wants what is best for you when you don't even understand it. Meditate on that. That should lead you into prayer. Our Father in heaven. And then we see, hallowed be your name. This is the first request. We see a list of requests here. When we come in prayer, we should not be ashamed to ask for things. This is what part of what prayer is. So first, Hallowed be your name. This is a sincere desire for the Father's glory. It means God, sanctify, set apart your name. Now, in a great sense, God's name is already, it is already sanctified. He is God. Just by its very nature, it's sanctified. But what the Christian is asking for, what the disciple is asking for, is that God's name would be more and more revered in all the earth. 
that it would be held in awe. Think of it like this. Every child has a concern for his father's name, right? Can you imagine a small child growing up hearing his father's name slandered? Hearing his father's and mother's name talked about badly by all people around he or she? This would be emotionally traumatic for a small child. And in the same sense, we should have a great concern for our father's name. We desire people to honor his name. Let me ask you this. How do you feel when people talk badly about you? Particularly when it's false. Have you ever had a rumor spread about you? I don't know if that's ever happened to any of you. How does that make you feel? Oftentimes we want to correct those things and say that was false and I don't want people thinking about me like that. Well, how do you feel when people speak badly about your Father, God in heaven? What the disciple is desiring is that God's name would be known and that it would be held in awe by people all around them. So they're asking, God, sanctify your name. Make your name known. Make people to know the glory of your name. Because in a name is a person, right? It's not just G-O-D, but it is who He is. It is His majesty and His power. So the disciple is asking, God, make people to know who you are. Listen to this quote. Until this is so, all people knowing the Father's name, the human compass will always be pointed in the wrong direction. And individual lives, as well as history as a whole, will suffer from constant and fluctuating disorientation. You see, until all people know who God is, we will also always suffer in this world. We will always know pain. We will always know tears. It is in all knowing and honoring the Father's name that perfection lies. This might also be where I pray the statement made by John the Baptist. He must become more important. I must become less important. You see, this is where I would fill it in personally. God, make your name known and help me in my heart to become less. Help me to become less concerned for fighting for my name and more concerned for fighting for your name. This is how we can fill it in personally. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In this section, there are actually two requests. First, that the Father's kingdom would come. Secondly, that His will be done. I want to take these together. Because when one really desires the Father's rule, then one will desire the Father's will. When God rules over your life, His will will be done in your life. So what we see in this aspect of the prayer is a sincere desire for the Father's rule. Now, this has traditionally been thought of in the sense of God come to earth and just bring in the end times. Bring it home. We're, we're done with this. We're ready for you to come. And that is one aspect of it. But what's the next request? God give us our daily bread, right? So this prayer isn't just an end times prayer, but it's a prayer for the now. So what the disciple is asking for is that God's will and reign will be effective in their immediate lives. 
What the disciple is asking for is, God, within my sphere of living, where I have influence, will you make your will done, your rule effective in my life here and now? This is a wonderful prayer to pray every morning. When you get up, husband, wife, and you say, God, will your kingdom come where I can affect it? Like where I can make decisions and it will be a manifestation of your kingdom, of your glory. Will your kingdom come in in my life? Will your rule and your will come where I am in my family, in my home? In my workplace, where I have an influence, where where the gossip can stop, or where uh, the meanness can stop, where love can be present and care for other people. God, will you make your kingdom present where I am? This is what the disciple is praying for, that there would be a manifestation of God's kingdom here and now through their obedient life. God, your kingdom come, your will be done here in me. Here in my family, in my sphere of living. May it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me say this. When the Father takes rule in our lives, we desire the Father's will in our lives. It means we don't resist His commands. But when we resist God or His instructions for our lives, we're saying we don't want His rule. So you can't say no to God and at the same time pray this prayer. For God's will to be done means you're entirely submissive and you're obedient to the Father. Moving to the next three requests. We need to see that there is a parallelism present here. The first three requests concern God's glory and His name. The first thing, what we should see in this is that those who truly pray will become more concerned for God than for themselves. Notice this, the second, three, the second group of three requests is going to be about the disciples in their own lives. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a concern for oneself. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation. It's a concern for what's going on in my life. But the first three requests are concerned for God's glory and His name. You see, what Jesus teaches us through this prayer is that As the Christian prays more and more, we become more concerned for God's glory, for His concerns, than for our concerns. Now what this doesn't mean is that we don't mention our needs. It doesn't mean that we don't bring those before the Father. That would be a false sense of spirituality that denies human need. You see, there's nothing too small for God. And here's what I would say to you. If God's not concerned with it, maybe you shouldn't be concerned with it either. And so if there are things of your need, I've heard of people saying this, where they they don't want to pray for things that are too small because they're afraid God's not concerned with those things. There's nothing too small for God. But there may be some things you're concerned with that God's not concerned with. And that might be something you just don't need to be praying and don't need to be concerned about yourself. That's probably what that means. As God doesn't want you to be consumed with it either. So let's look at the things that we pray for for ourselves. First, we see a sincere desire for the Father's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. 
We should see bread as a reference to every necessary provision. It's a summary of all that we would need. And he asks for the daily bread. You see, we're not anxious about the weeks and the years ahead because God provides on a daily basis. Even in Lamentations, it says that even His mercies are new every day. Every day. Now, this is difficult for people here, many people here, because we have food in our pantries that will provide us for the next week to two weeks. But what we need to be reminded of is whatever God has whatever we have is given directly from God. You know, I was thinking back to times when I would pray before a meal. And sometimes it's easy, it's easy for me. Maybe I'm just not very religious and spiritual. But it was easy for me to get bored over praying for a meal. Thanking God for every single meal. But you know what the problem was in my life? is that I didn't recognize that every single meal was directly from the hand of the Lord. Just because we have excess doesn't mean it's not from God. And it doesn't mean it's an accident. Our excess is providentially given for God's glory. What you have in excess may be something that you need to be giving away. And so we see this phrase, give us this day our daily bread. What we need to see is that everything we have every single day is a direct provision from the hand of God. Every meal, all of it. It doesn't mean it's wrong to have some things stored up, but we should not hope in those things. Because God provides on a daily basis all that we need. The next section, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here we see a sincere desire for the Father's forgiveness. It's very important. Some of your versions might have different words, but it's very important that you notice the word debtor, debt. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, because of our sin, we owe God. God created us. He gave us breath. He gave us life. But when we rebel against Him, when we sin against Him, we're sinning using the very life that He gave. When we speak against Him, when we say no to God, we're using the breath that He gave to deny Him and to reject Him. You see, He has given it to us. He has entrusted it to us. And yet we reject Him With it, we owe God our lives. But yet, it's a debt that we can't pay, right? It would be our death. So what the text is telling us is to ask God, forgive us for our debts. Forgive us for what we owe. Here's where we can bring the gospel in this prayer. As you relate it to yourself personally and as you're praying through this prayer, when you say this section, God, forgive me my debts, my transgressions against you, you can say, thank you, God, for paying my debt through Christ Jesus. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for making the sacrifice that I couldn't make. 
He died on a cross that you might have life. His blood was shed for your sins. And so He provided what was needed for your debts. And so you praise God in this prayer. Forgive me my sins. Thank you for Christ Jesus who covers my sins. But then the next part, as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, forgiveness by the Father is most clearly seen through our ability to forgive others. In fact, these happen almost simultaneously. To be forgiven means to forgive. As Colossians teaches us, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Jesus comments on this further in verses 14 and 15. We didn't read these, but it's helpful for commentary on this. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We shouldn't see this as some type of works for salvation. But you see, the one who can't forgive another can also not receive forgiveness. Again, this is almost simultaneous. The Father forgives, we extend forgiveness. And so I just want to ask you, encourage you, is there anyone you're holding anything against? Anything. There should be no bitterness in the body. There should be no grudge within the body of Christ. At your workplace where you represent Christ and tell them you go to this church, do you have a grudge there? Do you have something you're holding against someone? There's been nothing that God would not forgive you for. There's no room for grudges. No room. So we sincerely desire the Father's forgiveness. And the last section, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The last part there, it's very important that you see this. It is most likely translated, deliver us from the evil one. What we're seeing here is Jesus helping us, showing us that we need to admit our weakness. Asking the Father, lead us, God, please, lead us not into testings and temptations that would be difficult for us, that would be overwhelming for us, but please deliver us from the evil one, from the one who would overtake us and would like to see us fail Please, Father, deliver us. We acknowledge our weakness, our need for your help. Will you help us? Will you deliver us? Now, we also need to bring in a little uh, theology here. God cannot tempt one to do evil. This is James. God does not tempt one to do evil. But God does test for the endurance of His servants. Now, the difference is, That God would bring us through difficulty and trial. But that difficulty and trial would not be that we would do evil. But that difficulty and trial would be that we would learn to rejoice. To exude the characteristics that are like Him. So God does bring us to trial. And so what this is... that The temptation is actually the same word. It's very interesting and difficult. 
but it says lead us not into temptation. It could be trial, but deliver us from the evil one. So God, don't bring us into some trial that could overwhelm us, that could be too much. I admit my weakness and my difficulty, my temptation to sin when I'm pressured. I admit how weak I am and how frail I am, how quick I am to abandon you and to disobey you. God, would you deliver me from the evil one? Would you keep me from him? I think of one of my favorite hymns, Prone to wander, Lord. Now I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's an admission of weakness. God, will you help us? Will you deliver us? Will you keep us from evil, from the evil one who would love to trample us, who prowls about like a roaring lion, desiring to see you fail miserably? So, this is our model prayer. Our sincere desire for the Father's glory. That we would see Him, that we would desire for Him to be known. Our sincere desire for the Father's rule in our life, in our sphere of living. Our sincere desire for the Father's provision, recognizing that it is only Him who provides. No matter how much you have stored up, it is God who provides. If it is all gone tomorrow, God provides for tomorrow. He provides for today. Sincere desire for the Father's forgiveness, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of anyone else, no matter what they've done to you, and then a sincere desire for the Father's protection. For the Father's protection. So Christian, here is the invitation for you and the challenge for you. Do you desire the Father's glory above your own and above your own needs? Think about that question. That is a oh, that question will reveal your heart. Reveal your heart. Do you desire the Father's glory, the Father's renown, more than your own needs? This is what happens in prayer. As we seek the Lord in prayer, and His character is revealed to us, we realize that His glory is more than our own life. Do you desire that? Do you see that? And I want to ask you to do during this time of invitation, of response, whether you, Christian, would like to come forward and do so here at the altar or whether you would like to do so in your seat. I want you to walk through this prayer. Walk through. Meditate on this prayer. Fill in your personal needs. Fill in aspects from your life, but just pray. Walk through the prayer. For others in the room. Maybe you don't pray. Maybe you're going to find it difficult to pray. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Do you find it hard to ask for forgiveness? Do you find it hard to forgive others? Forgiveness is waiting for you. Would you call out to Him and trust in the One who's provided forgiveness for you through His only Son? Who desires to forgive your sins? Who desires to be your Father?
to show you His great love for you. I would ask you if you would come forward during our invitation, during our time. If you won't come at this time, I would be glad to meet with you here after the service and I'll be over here. I'll have this same shirt on as they said Landon used to say. I'll be wearing this. Can't miss me. But, spend time praying and I would challenge you after this service, as you go this week, Whatever you have to do, will you designate a time in your life in which you're alone with the Father to pray? To pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You have provided relationship with Yourself, Lord, for us so that we might pray to You. That we might become before Your throne of grace and pour out our hearts, all our needs, God, all our hurts. And Father, You tell us to come confidently. Thank You that You're such a kind, loving Father. Thank You that You forgive all our dirtiest of sins. You even take away our shame. Lord, help us to pray. Lord, help us to realize that, that You work in prayer, that You hear our prayers, that You work in our hearts and not only in us, but around us, God, that You work powerfully through the prayers of Your people. Thank You that You are a mighty God. Lord, we pray that You would lead us as Your people to be devoted to You in this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Again, if you'd like to come forward, you're welcome to, or if you'd sit in your seat, or if you want to stand to pray, whichever you desire, please do so. I'm going to stand up here for a few moments if anyone like to come forward, if anyone has.